And we've, we kind of like brainstormed what was important to us, you know, listing our values, what is it that brought us to work. And we came up with this idea that we were optimizing for happiness. And so what we felt was really important in any business, and we still believe that, and I think this is really core to everything that we do now, is that it isn't just about the money. What we're all trying to do is find happiness. Welcome to What Works. I'm your host, Tara Gentili. On What Works, our goal is to break through best practices, transcend conventional wisdom, and put theory to the test. To do that, we talk to real small business owners about what's actually working for them right now and deep dive on the who, what, how, and why of how it works. Today, I'm joined by Carlos Saba, the co-founder of the Happy Startup School, a meaning seeker, lapsed physicist, and passionate educator and learner. Carlos is on a mission to make the world a little happier by helping people find their flow by building businesses and doing work that aligns with who they really are. Carlos and his co-founder have built a thriving community through offline events, but they've started taking the community online too. I wanted to learn how their approach to offline community building translated to online community building. Carlos and I chat about how the Happy Startup School emerged from an already thriving business that they decided to shut down, why their initial goal with Happy Startup School was to just meet people, how they thingify ideas into testable solutions, and of course, how their success with offline events is translating into online community. Carlos Saba, welcome to What Works. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. All right. So let's start off with you actually shutting down a business. You shut down a thriving agency to pour your energy into your current company, which we're going to hear more about in just a minute. But I'd love to hear the story of that decision to shut down something that was working and start something up fresh. So this is a story, I would say, based on um, energy and uh, needs and also potential future vision for where we wanted to be. So when we started the Happy Startup School, we were also running a digital agency that we'd been, I'd been running with my longtime friend and co-founder, Lawrence McCarhill. We'd known each other since we were actually in primary school. Uh, and through serendipity, uh, we found ourselves in the same um, business, the same industry, and we started this digital agency. And we'd been running that for for approximately 10 years at the time. Um, we had transitioned or we had evolved that business from, from doing interactive websites. I'm, uh, my background is, is a, as a developer and then a technical architect. Lawrence is a designer and a user experience professional. We found that actually uh, in the businesses we were working in, the agencies we were working, we just we found no joy. Uh, we were just um, essentially interrupted by middle management and, and politics from doing the work we thought was important. So we thought we could do it better. So we joined forces really because we wanted to do work that we love to do. Um, and that started off as building interactive websites. Then it's, we slowly evolved because we liked to do innovative stuff. We started working more and more with startups and entrepreneurs. And in that, on that journey, we found, um, and during that time, this was around about 2007, 2008, the lean startup movement had been kicking off. This whole idea of actually building products and uh, businesses in, in um, environments of extreme uncertainty, building new stuff, basically, and not, not cookie-cutting cut, uh, cookie products. It meant doing things in a new way. And a lot of our clients would come to us, uh, especially the early first-time entrepreneurs, expecting, I have a brief, I have an idea, build it, and it will work. 
And we knew that wasn't going to happen because most of the time, the assumptions we make about our business are very, uh, very myopic. They're very based on our own, unless you're a true visionary, which are few and far between, they're very based on our own experiences and assumptions until we actually get those assumptions out in the world and get them tested is very likely that they're actually going to be false. And what, what we found works is actually working with potential customers, working with a with an audience. But that that's really hard to, to get into someone's head who has a fixed budget and a fixed price and, and they want to be the next Facebook for, for less than $10,000. <laughs> so we, we were really trying to get them to understand, actually, this is a process of iteration. This is a process of a, this is a creative process. And it isn't just about the money. This is about actually delivering value. And so we, we really felt there was a missing link here because it, really, it hurt us as an agency to work with people like this who had a, an expectation of something huge, but a budget was that, that didn't really match up. And so we wanted to really train and educate our clients before we worked with them about how what the best process is to follow this and how can you can do a lot of this stuff without spending lots of money. So we needed the school. We needed a, we needed a startup school. Um, but like I said before, one of the reasons myself and Lawrence went into business originally was, wasn't for the money. It was to actually do what we loved. And we'd done a bit of a soul-searching uh, exercise when we, uh, when we were looking at what next to do with the business. Um, and we sat on the beach in Brighton, uh, as you do as a, as a creative down here in the kind of bohemian south coast of UK. Uh, and we, we kind of like brainstormed what was important to us, you know, listing our values, what is it that brought us to work. And we came up with this idea that we were optimizing for happiness. And so what we felt was really important in any business, and we still believe that, and I think this is really core to everything that we do now, is that it isn't just about the money. What we're all trying to do is find happiness. Uh, and happiness is a personal thing, and it's different for everyone, but, but that's the core thing. That is the thing. And so the, the startup school we wanted to create wasn't just about building a business. It's also building a business that aligns with who you are. And that, that became... On the November, mid-November in, I think it was 2012, uh, a Basecamp message that I sent to Lauren saying, why don't we call this thing the Happy Startup School? And we had no idea what the Happy Startup School was at the time. First, we thought it was training entrepreneurs to do lean startup, but in a happy way. Uh, and that was our first workshop. We did a little workshop um, uh, in a pub in the center of uh, London, uh, talking about happiness and company culture. And, and uh, um, actually... The two books that really influenced us at the time were The Lean Startup and Delivering Happiness by Tony Shea. And mm. it, was, it was really this idea of uh, using happiness as a business model. And so whether that was an existing business or a startup, it was actually really thinking about that. Uh, and this whole idea, if you, if you treat your employees well, then they will treat your customers well. And, and customers that are treated well are repeat customers, and that's, that's good for the bottom line. So we had that whole narrative going on at the time. And we started we started these events and we started talking about this stuff and we started doing meetups uh, and we started meeting other people who are interested in this idea of happiness and business. And, and that's where it started to grow um, and evolve. And what we did at the same time, because, again, we didn't know what we were doing. We we're just trying to meet people uh, who, who believed in the same thing. We published something called our Happy Festo, and it was our manifesto about what we thought it meant to build a happy startup, a business that was based on, at the time, what we called the four Ps of a happy startup, purpose, passion, people, and profits, and how you could balance all of those four things. Uh, and the response from that was overwhelming. Um, 
the response we got from our events and our workshops so we, as we talked to more and more people and met more people in this area just just took off and it felt like within the within a year of, of launching this idea and again it was not a business it was just an idea we got we've got more created more impact and more awareness of what we did than we ever did in 10 years as a as another digital agency trying to to sell websites and products and apps and so wow. yeah that that's Two years we spent just playing with that idea while running uh, the agency at the same time because the agency was that was the that was the money maker that's where the business was uh, the happy startup at the beginning was a movement and and really that was the agency we, we had at the beginning was called Spook Studio and we had the idea of actually creating what we called a Spook School for the startup school but then we thought actually this is this is something different. And we created a whole new brand, and that's where the Happy Startup School really came into its own because it was nothing to do with the agency. And, and strangely enough, or actually, I don't know if it was a good thing or a bad thing, maybe a good thing in hindsight, it, it didn't really have a strong link to the agency, so it, it felt like we were running two businesses at the same time. And so we got to this crunch point around two years within building the Happy Startup School as to, right, we have this agency where – like with all agencies, the, um, you have this peak and trough of, of business and cash flow and always trying to, run, you know, basically searching for the next um, contract and pitching um, and essentially selling our time. Or we have this thing called the Happy Startup School, which we're getting a massive uh, interest in. Uh, we, were, we launched our first online course uh, as the Happy Startup School. Uh, and the first course we were charging, I think, about $200 for a course for a place. And we got 100 people sign up. Uh, nice. And that was uh, basically the cost of a project. You know, one, uh, one of our typical small projects was about that much. And it's like, well, there's something here that's resonating with people. And there seems to be a potential here to grow. And there's a community that, that wants this. And I'll talk about the big event that we, we, we launched as well at the same time. Uh, so it felt, and we were running, but we were running two businesses at the same time and, and it was not sustainable. Um, it felt like we were limping along with both of them. And so we had to make a really bold decision. Do we just keep happy startup school as a small side project and keep on running the agency? Uh, or do we stay with this agency that's making the money, but we don't really have the enthusiasm or the impact or the feeling from it anymore? Um, and it ended up essentially going where the energy was, really. And it was a very scary, uh, I would say, if most business people would never advise you to do this, uh, they would say, all right, think about how you can sell your business, you know, get it into a fit state where you can actually sell it and, and make some money from it, rather than just say, actually, no, we're just going to close down. Now we're just going to move to something else. Um, but it, I would say, I don't know, five years into this thing is one of the best decisions we made. Oh, that's amazing. So I want to get to that. I, I want to come back to that sort of inflection point where you're shutting down the agency and you're going all in on Happy Startup School. Um, but I love this idea that you you mentioned it a couple of times. We didn't know what we were doing. We just wanted to meet people. Why was meeting people such an important part or why was that so important to you guys as a strategy for figuring out what you had and how this was going to work? Hmm. I think the thing that we've, we've, we've learned through building products and also through evolving the Happy Startup School, particularly at this early stage, was um, an idea uh, is 
just a dream if it just stays in your head. And unless you actually start sharing that idea with people, it has no room for growth or evolution. Um, and the best way to evolve an idea is just to just meet other people who are like-minded, um, who inspire you, who have stories that you want to get to know. Um, because then through the discussion, those discussions, through meeting them, through sharing your journey with them, you A, evolve your thinking and take it up another level and refine it and get more clear. But also you make friends and you, you, you create, um, and we hate the word networking because that's the thing <laughs> yeah. that we were really, we really didn't fit into when we were an agency, the business networking environment. What we were looking for was basically a group of friends that did business, but also believed in the same things as us. And that's why talking to people was really important for us because it is the best way to learn. But it was also, it gave us a sense of connection that made us feel like, okay, we're not the only crazies around here. This happy festa that we put up isn't just a dumbass idea that no one cares about. There's, there's actually other people who believe the same thing. And I think that's really important for people is like they... There's this practice in vulnerability, and I, I, I was actually on a call yesterday with someone, and we were talking about the, the concept of vulnerability, uh, and they were really against the idea because they thought vulnerability meant weakness. Because if you show vulnerability, you actually, to clients and customers, you you give them uncertainty and and, uh, and they feel like there's something wrong with you. But I would flip that, and I think vulnerability is about. You know, extreme transparency and really showing your true colors about what you believe in, what you stand for, and what your thin red lines are, what you will never do. And through that, you create much more authentic relationships with people. And also, you, you, you get to know who, who it is you need to talk to and who is just going to be a waste of time because they just don't believe in the same things. So that getting to know people, getting to know people at a deep level, getting to know people where money wasn't the question that well that wasn't on the table it was more about connecting ideas and evolving them together um and that's all the, the initial meetups and with that we did as, as the happy startup school these were these were free events so that that we launched and and we had speakers come to and gave their time for free because they also wanted to connect with us and learn learn together not from each other but learn as a through the process of conversation Mm, well, I love that. I'm I am all about that personally. All right, let's talk more about this decision to shut things down and and go all in on the Happy Startup School. You've mentioned the, the Lean Startup a, a few times, and I'm I'm a big fan of of Eric Reese and the Lean Startup movement and and everything that it teaches. Uh, and one of the things that it teaches is um, using a hypothesis to kind of move your work forward, to iterate, to make changes, so that your product is becoming uh, your product, your business, whatever it might be, is becoming more and more desirable, more and more profitable as time goes on. I'm curious if you guys had sort of a hypothesis that you landed on that gave you the confidence or gave you the at least the nudge yeah. <laughs> to move on from the agency and move into Happy Startup School. Yeah. Okay. That's a good question. And this is a classic case of um, do as I say, but not as I do. <laughs> But I would actually say do as we do, not as we say, in the sense that when we were teaching you know, at a very conceptual level, we really got the idea of the lean startup and testing hypotheses and reducing risk and, and iterating over time. And to a certain level, 
we did that. We were instinctively trying to do that. But I would say what really happened is that we didn't start with a hypothesis. We started with a need. And this was a mm. real personal need to see how can we build a business in a way that isn't just about the money. And how is it that we can optimize this business around a feeling of success, not this um, abstract objective benchmark of cash flow, revenue, size, whatever that is. Uh, still keeping in mind that money is important and money is a fuel, but money not being the target. And so really the Happy Startup School was born from this authentic need to build connections with people so that we could learn um, as a group how to build these authentic businesses, the best way I'd say that. Um, but the way we did that, I think, would align with the kind of the lean startup way. We, we just created stuff and we did things and we saw and we, we just observed whether they worked or not. You know, we would run workshops. Or, actually, um, my co-founder is doing a, a, a masterclass today and it's called, about, it's called thing, Thingify It. How do you make things out of your thoughts and then to put them out in the world to see if actually they, they have value or they create they people perceive value in them and that's what we did was like we would create slide decks we would you know there's the happy festo we would put landing pages for workshops some stuff worked some stuff didn't but all the time what we were trying to do was was just get a sense of what people really wanted and what people needed you know we had workshops to begin with around company culture and uh, and happiness and while there was a demand there i think the thing that's really important for us is while there was a market opportunity there wasn't a need from us we didn't have energy for it mm. but what we did find actually we found people who were really interested in this more how can i align what i do and how i work with who i really am and there was this kind of intersection between personal development and business development and that's the thing that really energized us because we found, particularly as an agency, we could tell our clients until we're blue in the face about the best process, the best approach, how the lean startup is the best way of doing things. But they were stubborn lot. They would still <laughs> do the thing that they thought was the right thing to do because there was something deeper that was blocking them, something that was actually making them scared to step out of the comfort zone of their well-defined business plan and enter in this kind of space of uncertainty where it was a much more emergent process. And when it's an emergent, uncertain process, unless you're really clear about what you really want, what you really need, it's a good chance you get lost and you go round and round in circles. And so what we found, uh, and I think this is something that's evolved over time. Again, we didn't know this at the beginning. This is a great exercise of post-rationalization. But what we really found is actually... Uh, the tools and techniques that are out there are amazing for building a business. The ability, the things that you can do now as a, as a solopreneur is just astounding what you can create and the impact you can make. But all of that is futile and useless unless you really understand what you want and what, understand what you need yourself. And so I would say through that kind of testing the waters of, Oh, let's, let's teach techniques and let's teach tools and let's do an event. Um, Actually, through doing that and, and practicing that, kind of, it's, it's a scary process of thingifying stuff, putting stuff out there and 
feeling rejection because people don't want it and then feeling elation because people want this other thing but then sensing that and following that energy i think that for me was was the key part of kind of mixing that iterative lean startup approach but with a bit more self-knowledge and self-awareness Oh, I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that. And also, I'm I'm curious because I know a lot of people say, well, I put stuff out there and I figured out what worked or or what or there was a need or what was successful. And then I got rid of the stuff that didn't, but they don't talk necessarily about how they knew that that was true <laughs> or what the benchmark for that was. So I'm I'm curious if you had a particular benchmark or a particular thing that you were looking for as you were thingifying all of uh, these ideas that you guys had. Yeah, so I would say it was a combination of a, a market demand. So will would someone pay for it? And that's okay. that's one of the biggest things. And I think you know, in the lean startup kind of way of thinking, is like validation. A lot of the time is someone putting money on the table. If someone puts money on the table, then there's 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 something there that you can make a sustainable business out of, or you can you can sell a product. But as well as that, is like, do I have the energy to do this? Because I think the challenge that some entrepreneurs have is they see a market opportunity. Uh, and it's great. Some people are very are built in a, in a certain way that they can just they just chase that thing and they, they make a, a success out of it through brute force. What we're much more about is actually the lazy approach to a business. How can we do things a bit more effortlessly? How can we actually tune into what we want to do or what we get energy from, where we find flow? And overlap that with a, a way of making money and a way of sustaining ourselves and making a business. Because I think that if you, you combine those two benchmarks, and it's a much more complicated way of doing things, it's a much more difficult, it's, it's, there's no silver bullet to this. But I think if you can get that right, and there are ways I think of getting that right, and this is what we are exploring ourselves at the Happy Startup School, you you might not build the, the business that rivals Facebook in terms of size, but you'll probably rival them in terms of impact and feeling of impact because in the end what's important i believe with most of this stuff is not necessarily the objective level of impact how many followers you have but really the feeling you get and the feeling you create in people when you do your work so mm. that combination of of business acumen and and understanding of what how financials pricing business models work but then really integrating that with where is what do I want and where's my energy Mm, I love that the lazy approach to building businesses (laughs) I'm all about that (laughs) thanks for listening to what works one of the reasons I wanted to start a podcast two and a half years ago is because I knew that I had access to a special kind of conversation with other small business owners that most folks don't have access to I wanted to be able to invite you into those discussions so you could hear from the people making it work exactly how they do it. I knew that it was these kinds of special conversations and not some fancy online course or trade secret that I could attribute my own success to. I can distinctly remember game-changing conversations about team building with Meet Edgar founder, Laura Roeder, the imposter complex and fraudy feelings with leadership coach, Tanya Geisler, or product development and sales with Great Escape Publishing founder, Lori Allen. These conversations helped me spot new opportunities, take advantage of underutilized strengths, and ask much, much better questions about what I was going to do next. Sure, I got new information and I learned some new things in the process, but the conversations literally changed the way I approached some of my biggest challenges and gave me the opportunity to make use of what I already knew. 
Now, I know it's really difficult to find these kinds of conversations, and that's probably one of the reasons why you listen to What Works. And that's why at Co-Commercial, we've worked hard to give you access to game-changing discussions too. And now we're doing it in a whole new way. We heard you wanted real-time, immersive, interactive opportunities to meet up with other small business owners and talk shop. So we created the What Works Business Immersion. The What Works Business Immersion is an eight-week series of live, interactive conversations about your business. Each week, we meet together live on Zoom. First, we set the stage for you with questions, journaling, and prompts. Then we break out into groups of three or four and give you the space to meet with other smart, curious, and motivated small business owners to discuss the week's theme. But we don't stop there. We also give you a private conversation space within Co-Commercial to continue exploring new ideas, opportunities, or perspectives within your cohort's discussion group. Plus, you have access to more focused small group discussions in our weekly Flash Masterminds, our co-working chats, and our special events in the Leaders Circle for a full year. The What Works Business Immersion will change the way you look at your business, and the Leaders Circle will support you while you go after new goals. We're opening the next cohort of the Immersion soon. To get notified when we open the doors, go to cocommercial.co slash immersion. That's cocommercial.co slash immersion. All right, let's talk more about events now, because you guys seem to be really big believers in events. And I mean, it certainly goes to your point about wanting to meet people and make friends who believe in the same things that you do while building their businesses. Tell us how your events have evolved over time and why events work for you guys so well. So um, this is this is the interesting thing is like every time we do an event uh, or we do one of our retreats, people ask you, so what is the secret to this? And <laughs> I, to be honest, it's very hard to, I don't think it's very hard to, 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 to reduce to, to formula, but um, what I can do is I can talk about the types of events we run and then I, the kind of the, I think the, the commonalities between all of them. So the first really big event that we ran was our happy startup summer camp and um we'd been to an a similar event that we were really inspired by called the do lectures here in the uk and it's and it was um it was hosted on a camping site in wales uh, wales in the, is in the west of the uk so for those of you who aren't familiar with the uk it's probably one of the coldest wettest places on the planet um i've been it was lovely <laughs> When it's sunny, it's amazing. When it's not sunny, it, it can be challenging. It can be, it can really, uh, it's a bit of a task to um, to overcome the elements. But it was an amazing experience because we were out in nature. It was, uh, there were about 100 or so like-minded change makers, purpose seekers, uh, people making a difference in the world, sharing their stories, Um in a really beautiful setting and we were really inspired by that is the kind of thing that we thought was that's how conferences sh- and how people should gather is particularly when you're trying to get inspired to do something new so we 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 tried to do our what we call minimal minimal lovable product version of that and that was um there was, a, there was, we found this place in the middle, in the central of London, in Hyde Park, um, 
as a big park, probably the same kind of thing like Central Park is to New York. Um, and in the middle of this big park, there's a place called the Lookout, which was a it's kind of um, it was a center for educating kids about nature. So we found this place. We had this vision for doing a conference which was centered around happiness and business. Uh, this was two years within the Happy Startup School. So we'd already built a good following of people who were interested in what we did. And so the next level up after doing all these meetups was actually we need to do our own big event. And so this was the first big risk. This was like one of the big, first times of really stepping into the arena and then showing what we were really about and, and exposing ourselves to potentially big failure because we were asking people and people were volunteering to come from across the UK and Europe to talk and to attend the event. And we managed to get about 80 people there. Um, we were charging, I think, £200 per ticket. And it, for our first event, the first benchmark was try not to make a loss. Well, actually, first benchmark, get people there. <laughs> Second, try not to make a loss. And third, if you have to kick people out of the event, then it sounds like it's a success. And we hit, oh, all, wow. we hit all three. We, this place closed, I think, at 6 p.m. And we still had half the attendees still milling around having conversations <laughs> and didn't want to leave. And this, this was a very strong signal for us that actually, yeah, we're onto something good. Uh, the format was still fairly traditional. It's still talk-based. We tried to create some space between the talks for people to engage. But what we saw, what was a real clear signal, so speaking to the whole lean startup thing and think, looking at what works, what we saw really worked were the conversations that people wanted to have if you gave them the right space to have them in. And so like, they're like we can, there's like four pillars that I would say that are elements of what we think is, is successful meaningful event um, one of the things is is having the right people in the room so these events that we run we actually they're application based so we ask people to apply to say why they want to come to the event and that's really important for us because i think you need to have the right people in the room in order to create the right atmosphere and people with the right intention the second thing was to the right location the right setting uh, if if we if you're stuck in a windowless room with artificial lighting, you're going to think in a completely different and sat in in some kind of theatre type style. You're going to think in a completely different way as you would do if you are in a barn, on a bar in a barn on a farm in the middle of the countryside with chickens and and cows uh, making noise in the background and tractors driving by. Um, so we believe being out in nature, being uh, in a place that feels expansive will also lead to expansive thinking. And also it's out of your context. I think being out of your comfort zone and to a certain degree out of your normal day-to-day, -day, you become a different person. You become more open to, to new things because everything is a new stimulus. And if everything's a new stimulus, then all the people around you and the conversations that you have, become you become super aware of them and super heightened to them. So having that location that creates that that heightened awareness. And then the other thing is creating space. And it isn't just about physical space, but I think also having creating mental space. So being away from your context is one way of creating new mental space, but also being fully present so that you are... When you're on an event, you're not checking your phone. You're not thinking about the next meeting or the proposal you have to write when you get back, but really super present to the people around you and what's being said. 
and also having space around the structure or the schedule so it isn't full of talks and workshops there's a lot of empty space and empty time for people to fill with what they want or to do nothing and i think that's the, one of the key things is like most of the time our most inspirational creative thoughts and the way when we unlock stuff comes from the time when we're we're not thinking and we're not focusing too much on one thing and we're letting our minds wander and essentially we're trying we're getting to a state of boredom to a certain level, but you're, you, when you have, when you empty that glass of your mind and give it some space, then and not being too intent to fill it with anything, then that's when the magic happens and new ideas and inspiration happens. And then finally, I think the fourth element is hosting, hosting in the right way. And we have been to events with people who are very amazing at creating a very rid. Rigid is the wrong word. I'm making a judgment there. A very clear, structured event where things are happening on a nice timetable, which is great, and it helps you know steer people in the right direction. However, it become it feels too structured, and it becomes a feels like something you're being processed through. A lot of the big events that I've been to, the formal events, you feel like you're being processed processed through a series of talks spoon-fed information, hoping that you'll create value or you'll get value when you leave the read the factory of, of information for us it's much more about um talking like friends hosting hosting an event as if you were hosting someone to your house um one of the things the comments that we get from many of our events is it feels like coming home and that kind of sense of actually coming into someone's home being welcomed feeling like you're actually you can relax let the armor down and connect with other people because you're there just to, for a social experience not just a, a learning or business event and so that comes from the hosts that comes from the people who, who welcome people and, and myself and lawrence we've never we've never been great at the kind of the formal stuff and it was much more in tune with who we really were to host people as friends and to, to accept them into a place as uh as guests not as attendees and mm. so i would say those are the four things that that we learned from that big first event um and generated such goodwill from people who came i love that so you mentioned so that was the summer camp but you guys run other events too can you tell us about the other types of events that you have so we went from summer camp to doing retreats and so um, i'd like to talk a bit here as well as uh, the what we call engineered serendipity and what Ooh, that can yes please what that can do for you so the the wonderful the scary thing about an emergent process is you never know where it's going to go but the beautiful thing about the an emergent process is that opportunities that you'd never thought of turn up and so at summer camp uh, we had our first summer camp on the farm so this was summer camp 2 um, we had a, a guy called Jack Hubbard, who is, who's, who is CEO, um, I was founder of a, of a company in Brighton, a, a, a digital, uh, a, I would say a digital marketing agency for want of a better term, he'll probably kill me for saying that. But anyway, <laughs> he had got his business to a certain level where he had decided, right, I want to follow my dream, which is I want to live in the Alps. So he moved his family uh, from Brighton to the French Alps uh, and runs his business from there. And he had this dream because he found this beautiful valley in the French Alps that he wanted to create this uh, playground for business people 
and entrepreneurs and business owners to come and again think expansively see the wonders of nature and through that be able to push forward their businesses in a different way and build their businesses in a better way we had always we'd seen these retreats at the time you know people going on yachts around the mediterranean and going and things like summit and and kind of these really kind of high-end retreats which look really sexy but totally unattainable and we dreamt of doing something like that and then basically over a conversation at summer camp jack told us well come out to the alps and i'll show you around and we thought why not (laughs) it sounds interesting sounds fun we went out there. We saw this amazing place. We went hiking, uh, walking up a mountain. This is actually quite a scary part of it. We were walking up a, a trail, and it was in pitch dark, well, dense fog. Uh, when we saw what we were walking up, we would probably would never have done it if it, there wasn't any fog because there was these sheer drops either side of us as we were walking up this mountain. But as we were walking up this mountain, we were like, we're just throwing around ideas about what this thing could be. You know, we're trying to create a, um, this uh, an experience for people to change people's attitudes. And we were in the Alps, and we're throwing around names. And I came up with this idea. It's like, oh, hmm, well, why don't we call it Altitude? And it started with a name. All right, we're going to start this thing called Altitude. And we had no idea what it was. And then within a day, Lawrence had created this uh, web page called Altitude, and it had a mountain, and it was about a retreat, and it was about creating space. And he, basically, he thingified the thought turned it into a landing page, stuck it on the web, gave it a name, gave it a price, or not even a price, gave it a, an application form, uh, gave it, put a story around it, uh, and and that was the basically the birth of our first ever retreat in the Alps. Our vision for it was to, to get basically people, change makers and, and entrepreneurs in a place where they can collaborate in a really expansive way. And, and using, again, those four principles, finding the right people. So it was an application process, getting the right location, the French Alps, creating the space. So there was no, there was no structured agenda. There was a very loose, um, in the mornings, we would have um, workshops, and they would be delivered by the attendees. And it was very open, kind of open space approach. You would, people would suggest what they wanted to talk about, and we would listen to them. And in the afternoons, we'd have activities, whether it was hiking up a mountain, trek to a refuge, mountain biking, whitewater rafting, or mountain climbing. And, and that, was the, that was the seven days. Seven days of, of being somewhere, learning from other people, but essentially freeing your mind to be able to think in a more broad level, more strategically, than one would, you'd say, but strategically not just about your business, but about who you were within that business. Uh, and that was an amazing, um, an amazing experience. And strangely, funnily enough, we had a guy who was on our first uh, homeschool program, this online homeschool that we did, which was for early stage entrepreneurs and how to build a business, how to build a happy startup. So we ex- we assumed that most of those people were first time business owners. Actually, one of them was a guy called Kumaran Mani, who was running a hundred person IT outsourcing business in Chennai. He came to Altitude because he really wanted to experience what it was like. And he said, you need to bring it to India. This has to come to India. This has to be there. And again, engineered serendipity. He he knew the area. He told us where we should go. We recruited the people. And our happy startup ashram was born. And so we had our first Indian retreat. And so what went from an idea or a dream of, actually, we'd love to go on these retreats to amazing places. 
then turned into a reality. And we ran our sixth retreat in Goa um, last month. Uh, and again, that was, uh, we met someone, our ashram in Chennai, who was from Goa and said, you need to bring it to Goa. And uh, from Goa, we actually then did one in the US. Our altitude US was in Oregon. And we went to Mount Hood. So yeah, it, it, with those, but the I would say the 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 commonalities between the retreats uh, and the summer camp are those four things. And, and the key thing, I think, the real key thing that we really we think is really important is space. Not filling it with for the sake of filling it because you think that's how you create value, but actually creating the space for value to emerge from the from the attendees. Mm, I love that. That is absolutely my approach to event planning also. And it can feel to me kind of lazy, um, <laughs> mostly in a good way, but also, you know, but also it's proven over and over and over again to create the best value for people. Um, and yeah, so I, I'm very excited to hear that I'm not the only one that doesn't try and jam pack the schedule full of stuff um, and find value in that. So you guys are in the process of launching and filling and growing a uh, co- an online community now. You've been doing this stuff offline. You've been doing the classes and, and the homeschool, um, but now you're building community online as well. Can you talk to us about how your... Um, how your four principles for events cross over to your online space as well? So, yeah. So the online aspect of what we do um, was born from a need to connect people after the events and also to connect people um, who are following us from across the world. So we found the physical events are great ways to, to really create a deep connection between people but then they're time bound and location based and so when people go home and they go to their various um, sort of uh, homes across the world how do you keep these people connected and so the online community was really born from the one of our summer camps where we thought all right we need to find a way of keeping people connected Uh, and we launched first um, again in a minimal lovable product type of way we we launched on using a slack as a as a tool as a as a way of actually building community it was free at the time um it meant that we could have host the conversations away from facebook because we'd been running facebook groups for our homeschool um programs but we found facebook could be very distracting because when you're in it then notifications come from all over the place that are not relevant to what you're trying to do at the time. So we had this idea, all right, let's let's do this on Slack, get to get people on there. Um, and I think speaking to the, the principles of you know, the setting or the location being important, I would say uh, when it comes to online, I would call that the user experience is important there. Uh, we found Slack wasn't the best user experience. And so this is why this just this year we transitioned to Mighty Networks, and that's how I found out about CoCommercial. Actually, was looking up, my, you know, what other communities are on Mighty Networks, and how do they work, and how 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 what's the experience like? Um, and so for us, that t- using Mighty Networks ticked the box of uh, having a a a space that was free of the noise or a setting that was free of the noise of normal social media like Twitter. And, 
and Facebook and all the other crowded social media channels that are there. Uh, so to give people much more focus around the conversations, I think it then creates more of an intention as to why they're there. Then in terms of the the kind of the hosting aspect of it, again, it's trying to, this is the sort of the, the challenge I would say with online because you don't, you can't, you, you can't read people's physical language and you don't have the opportunity to, to, you know, be face to face with someone um, all the time when you're chatting, especially particularly when it's on mobile, then there's another level of, uh, of challenge there. I think the, the beauty of, of something like mighty networks or, or, or digital platforms is, is to have the location independence and the freedom to connect and communicate with people wherever they may be. And so, and also to, to have that on demand more or less to be able to be stuck or have a question or be inspired to ask a question at any time and, and to have a whole community within fingers of reach in a sense. But how do you create the, or can maintain the deep connections or create the, create even new deep connections with people haven't actually ever met. The way we try and tackle that is, is using again, technology and using platforms like zoom, um, Facebook live. And also we try to experiment with crowdcast, but to have more of a, uh, that, um, multimedia experience, being able mm-hmm. to see and hear people as well as uh, just, un- you know, I would say uh, consume the content. It's also about communicating the personalities. So we try and tackle that again with using coaching calls, group coaching calls that we have with our with our members, and um, doing regular webinars and also running regular masterclasses to to not just spoon feed information but also communicate our personality and connect people with with thought leaders in our network so i don't think you can rep, you can't do exactly the same things i think they they have their advantages and disadvantages you know physical events they have the magic of that real deep connection uh, online events have the convenience of being able to access it whenever you are whenever wherever you are and whenever you want so but the four principles, as I still think, remain. I think you've got to have the right people in the room, the right people in the platform. You need to have a, a, a user experience that complements your intention. So it needs to, to be focused on what you want to achieve. Um, you need to have space. So you don't, I think one of the challenges of doing online stuff, and I think it talks to this whole idea about um, packing the schedule of events, is that we feel the need to post again and again and again because we want to you know, feel like people are getting value, but also being aware that that can also be quite um, disruptive and, or um, noisy for people. So finding that balance of giving people space to have conversations and talk about specific topics, but keeping them aware and alert of new things that are coming. And that's a challenge that we have, I think, at the moment, finding that right balance. Mm-hmm. And then finally, hosting making sure that you set the intention well, you model the behavior you want to to basically um, promote within the network and doing that doing that by example, but also I would say promoting the, the behaviors that already exist. So, you know, to looking after the people who are already, you know, doing that within your community and celebrating those um, super fans. Beautiful. I love it. Um, We are so very, very much on the same page. And I have absolutely loved this conversation. And unfortunately, even though I could talk to you all day long, (laughs) 
we got to start wrapping things up. So, Carlos, can you tell us where we can find out more about Happy Startup School online and how we can get involved? Excellent. So if you want to find out more about us, um, I would say the first stop would be go to Medium, medium medium.com and look for Happy Startups and you'll find all our blog posts and publications. I think that will be the best port of call to read more about our philosophy and the way of doing things. From there, you'll see a you on our post you'll see a way of signing up to our newsletter if you want to get a bit of happy startup inspiration once a week um, into your inbox then i would urge you to do that and if you want to read more deeply into what we are the happy startup school itself just look up the happy startup school on google and it'll take you to our site if you're interested in our retreats then the retreat to look for is alptitude uh, so it's not attitude it's alptitude um or Happy Startup Ashram. Those are the two things that you could look for on the internet. Um, The web address for the ashram is ashram-india.com. And for altitude is is altitude, but there's a dot before the D. Got to refine a better way of actually communicating that. Uh, (laughs) And then I think the big thing for us is the summer camp that's coming up in September. That would be, I think, of interest to people. And if you look up happystartupsummer.camp, that is the web address for the summer camp, but just look up Happy Startup Summer Camp on the web, Google and you'll find it easily. Fabulous. Carla Seba, thank you so much for the great conversation and, and a great look inside Happy Startup School. Thank you for the opportunity to talk about it, Tara. Find out more about Carlos Saba and the Happy Startup School at thehappystartupschool.com. What Works is brought to you by CoCommercial. At CoCommercial, we put you in the driver's seat of your own small business journey. Instead of asking you to pay more every time you have a question or challenge in your business, all you need to do is ask. When you join our social and support network, especially for small business owners, you get unlimited access to hundreds of members with diverse experience, expertise, and backgrounds. You tell us what you want to know or find yourself struggling with, and we'll let you know what's worked for us. 60% of our members have been in business three years or longer. 30% have been in business six years or longer. We're coaches, designers, photographers, strategists, community leaders, consultants, artists, lawyers, and educators. Co-Commercial is your one-stop shop for answers, training, feedback, networking, and so much more. But you don't have to take my word for it. When you join us, you have 30 days to check everything out. If you don't believe that Co-Commercial gives you unparalleled opportunities for learning, networking, exploration, and discussion about what works in small business today, we'd love to refund your membership fee. Request your invitation to Co-Commercial today. Go to cocommercial.co. That's cocommercial.co. That's it for this week's episode of What Works. If you love getting a behind-the-scenes look at how real small business owners are making it work, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you enjoy listening. We also appreciate you leaving a review and sharing the podcast with your friends or colleagues. What Works is produced by Rosie Medius and edited by Marty Seafelt. Kristen Runvik prepares our show notes. Our opening music is by The Shrugs and our ad music is by Marley Carroll. Tune in next week for another look at how small businesses actually work.